around the age of 51, 52, I kind of flicked the switch from wealth building to cash flow. And so it took me about three, four years to, to get to my financial freedom number. Welcome to the Prosperity Perspective by DML, a conversation about how successful business owners invest their hard-earned money to preserve their wealth and what they might have done differently in hindsight. Thank you for joining us today, guys. Today, we're joined by Michael Dominguez and looking forward to him sharing a little bit about his story. So, uh, Michael, do you mind introducing yourself to the audience and uh, sharing a bit about yourself? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Liam. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to having the call myself. Uh, uh, As for me, I'm a uh, realtor and investor in the Toronto, Canada area. Uh, I built up my portfolio buying duplex properties, primarily here in uh, in the greater Toronto area and did very, very well with that. And as a realtor, I helped hundreds of people end up buying investment properties and building wealth with uh, solid cash flowing properties. And uh, yeah, it, it essentially changed my life. I, I got to the point where I reached my financial freedom point by generating enough cash flow from my portfolio as well as some other ventures. And that led me to writing the book, which we'll talk about later on, Armchair Real Estate Millionaire. When you say financial freedom, what does that mean to you? I had a number in my head where I figured if I was generating that much fi- that much money coming in every single month through my passive investment strategies, that that would, and I basically replaced my income. I could either continue to work in my job if I wanted to, or leave it all together, work part time, work with clients that 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 were interesting to me that I was passionate about or not work at all and go on vacation for three months at a time and drive through Route 66 as I did last year. That's what financial freedom was for me. Nice. Um, did you always, were you always in real estate? Did you start there? Was that kind of the, the goal? And it was like, hey, I'm going to get here and that's going to be my key to financial freedom. Uh, or was there something else? And how did you get to that point of financial freedom? I'd love to tell you I had this great vision and and followed it from the time I was 12. But that's certainly not the case. I uh, I actually was very entrepreneurial when I was a teenager, and and I was that smarmy kid that when uh, when the parents would say, "Oh, Michael, what do you want to be when you grow up?" Uh, you know, I some people were saying a fireman and a policeman. I would tell them I want to be a millionaire. So I was I was the kid that you know they said, "Oh boy," and so I wanted to be wealthy. But uh, you get. You, you finish university. I took business. Uh, you get a job. You meet a girl. You get married. You have a baby. You get a responsible job. You get promoted a couple of times. And then before you know it, you wake up and you're close to 40 years old and you are you have pretty much no financial wealth whatsoever. Uh, so yeah, I, I was recently divorced at age 40. I'd been working full-time for a number of different companies, but mainly uh, in the pet food and supply industry. And I was the franchise sales manager for them. And, and yeah, I woke up, I'm now 40 years old. I wasn't anywhere near my financial goals and dreams and plans. And I had, you know, I'm sure we've all heard the comment of freedom 55. Well, I was a plan of freedom 105 and maybe not even that. And so I I just knew I had to do something differently. And so I was starting to look for other ideas. I wasn't happy where I was working and, uh, and we're actually the house I'm in right now. It, that we purchased, uh, I happened to be working with a, a broker manager, and she actually uh, she said, "You know, you'd be great as a realtor." 
And I said, Oh, I'm sure you say that to all the boys. And, but, but she says, you know, she genuinely said, no, no, I think you've got what it takes and you're going to do well. And so I looked into it It made a lot of sense. And so I, I left my secure nine to five job that paid me money every two weeks and went into the wonderful world of, of real estate where there was unlimited income and unlimited debts. And, uh, and I started my interest, uh, interest in real estate in 2008. And for those that have been around long enough to know, 2008 was a bit of a challenging year in the in the real estate world. But uh, but yeah, that's how I got started. Once you got started, how long did it take you to hit your financial freedom number? Great question. Um, because of my background of working with investors uh, in the pet food industry and self-employed people that really were that had that mindset. Um, I quickly gravitated right away to the investors in the real estate sector. And, uh, and so some of the very first deals I did as a realtor was working with investors. And I started looking to them and I said, you know, they're not that bright. They're doing well. I should be doing that myself. And so to be honest, the first couple of properties I bought were secondary properties and secondary markets and, and crappy ass tenants. But that's what everyone told me I was supposed to do, buy the worst property in a decent neighborhood and just try to make it better. And, and so I, I didn't really have a plan. I was more buying these properties because I was told that was the best way to go and uh, kind of struggled a little bit off the, off the hopper. But, uh, but I quickly started to gravitate towards buying the, you know, the properties that I currently have today. And I made a goal early on where I didn't necessarily want to turn this into a full-time career. I wanted this part-time job this side hustle to, to make the difference. And my goal was to buy one investment property every year for 10 straight years. And I thought if I could get to that point of having a portfolio with property a year for 10 straight years, that would put me in a position of, of pretty good financial wealth. And, and I was able to accomplish that. So it took me, it took me about, I'd say about 12 years of active real estate before I was at my financial freedom goal. So that leads to the question that we ask every guest here, right? Which is once you hit that point uh, and you didn't have to worry anymore, uh, you were financially free, you had all that cash flow now coming in. What was your framework like in terms of, you know, where, where to invest and where to put it, right? Did you continue to put back in to build the machine? Did you go on vacation? Did you build, you know, go buy another uh, vacation house? Like what, what did that look like for you and how did you think about it? You know, it's kind of crazy because your entire life, you're so, so, so focused on wealth building, or at least, you know, paying the bills. And then after that, it's actually building wealth. I'm, I'm a numbers guy. I was writing down my net worth every quarter and just to, had to be higher, had to be higher, had to be higher. And that was my goal. Uh, it was around three, four years ago um, where I sort of switched gears and I said, okay, I've reached the net worth number that I was happy with or darn close to it. So I started focusing more on cash flow. And so I was taking money out of certain investments that weren't cash flowing. And that included actually one or two investment properties that were, they were decent properties, but they weren't in my, they weren't, they weren't the type of ones that I'd buy today. So I took the money with that and, uh, and with that, plus some of my other, uh, when the States would be 401k and Canada, their RSPs, I started transferring that over. And with all of that extra funds, I started doing private mortgages. And so I started doing the private mortgages. I was getting regular money coming in there. The properties were generating a pretty solid cash flow. And uh, I also, my, my real estate venture that 
I built my database and stuff. I sold my business to another realtor and I'm getting money through that. So pretty much the vast majority of my money currently is either in, uh, there's still some equities, but mainly uh, uh, private mortgages and, and my real estate. Let's go back to when you were building, right? So you made the, the I think two things would be insightful. One is uh, prior to you going into real estate, kind of what did that look like for you? Where were you investing, right? And then <laughs> once you made that decision to, hey, I'm going in real estate, uh, what was your thought process in building to get to that point of financial freedom? Yeah, before I went into real estate, I, I, I think I had a bit of a similar attitude that a lot of other people listening on this call are thinking, and they say, "Oh, real estate—that's kind of that's kind of risky. You're dealing with uh, tenants, and you know, there's a little bit of risk with that." Let me put all my money in 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 the um, in equities. But I quickly learned that if purchased properly, real estate investing could be a very secure investment strategy. I started focusing on quality investment properties, quality neighborhoods with growing population and growing GDP, and was able to attract incredible tenants and then held the properties long-term. So I really realized that there was such a, a security when it came to real estate. I was, honestly, I didn't have a heck of a lot of money, but anything I did have was, was going into um, mutual funds or, or maybe a couple of stocks here and there. And, uh, but then, but if I was being honest with myself, probably about 75 to 80% of the net worth that I developed was on the principal residence that I'd, that I'd owned for 10, 15 years. So, you know, and when you start taking a look at that, you say to yourself, you say, well, you know, if, if this is where I'm making all of my wealth, why don't I do more of that? And, and that's really what I did is, you know, a little bit of the Warren Buffett mindset is uh, it's, it's okay to have all your eggs in one basket as long as you watch that basket really, really closely. And that's kind of what I did. I became the expert in the room. I, um, no one in this market knew about investment properties that didn't know about me. It's just, I was the guy. And, and that really led to a, not only a good career as a realtor, but a really good career as an investor. So I believe you've got dual citizenship between Canada and the U.S. What led you to kind of focus up in Canada versus down in the U.S.? Honestly, I, I, I'd love to give you some profound answer, but the reality is that I lived in the greater Toronto area and, and I knew this was a very solid market. And, uh, and, and I went for it just based on that alone. I, I, I liked having my portfolio where I can drive to it within a couple of hours or less. And, and that worked out well. But I go back again to talking about the quality properties. And this is something that I, I think a lot of the books that are out there, a lot of the, the mentors that are out there, they get so focused on buying properties on the, you know, making money on the buy. And they always talk about making money on the buy. Make, and, that's, and that's the only way you make money in real estate is on the buy. Well, honestly, I, I could buy a property in the greater Toronto area at retail value, you know, basically right off of the multiple listing service and buy it, cash flow, uh, maybe not a lot, but at cash flow. But because the Toronto area has such an incredible amount of, of, of growth that, uh, that it's led to a surge in values, unlike... And, for, for anyone from the States that's listening on, on this, uh, let, me, let me give you this one stat. Uh, one thing that they look at on a regular basis is the number of cranes that are being used towards building new developments. And in the United States, the number one 
city in the United States is a Washington, D.C. area that uses 45 cranes. And then in a tie for second is Los Angeles and Seattle, and they both have 43 cranes. To put that in all perspective, Toronto, as of the last study, had 208 cranes. So it is growing uh, at such an incredible rate. The last stat I saw is that the growth of Toronto is faster than the three fastest growing cities in the United States combined. So with that kind of growth, it's really led to a surge in, in values. It might have hurt, hurt cash flow with bringing these buying properties today, but it has done an incredible job in terms of building appreciating properties. And also the rent numbers have surged in value. And so the properties that I only had a cash flow of a few hundred dollars before, as soon as a tenant moved out, I'd be over a thousand dollars. And that really went a long ways. Can you talk a little bit about how you scaled it, right? So uh, obviously you typically need money for down payment. I don't know what the uh, the metrics that are required for Canada in terms of the mortgages and the loans that are available to you guys. Uh, and if that requires less down, that can, you know, you can leverage and then take advantage of appreciation, right? But where does that, uh, where does the egg or the nut come for buying the next property in terms of mm-hmm. that down payment and the equity you've got to put in? Yeah, well, and the the book that I wrote was was talking about a lot of that as well. But um, in my mind, I was focusing on two avatars of of who my reader was. Uh, the first one was more like myself, and and that's someone who who has their principal residence. They've got a really good nine to five job that's helping qualify for a mortgage, and I'm able to get the down payment money through uh, HELOC in my in my principal property. And then I'm able to get an 80% loan to value because I can qualify for that on the investment property. So for those that are weak on math, I get 20% from the HELOC and 80% from the uh, from the actual property itself. And that adds up to 100% loan to value. And, and that's how I was able to grow my portfolio. I had a property here in the Toronto area at the time that was worth, I don't know, six, 700,000 bucks or something like that. And I had no debt on it. And I was able to parlay that property over and over again. And, and then as other properties, I would uh, add secondary units. I could refinance them. And that allowed me to grow my portfolio more organically. It may have hurt the cash flow as I was refinancing a lot of these properties because I was adding debt, adding that debt. But, but I, was, I was focused not so much on cash flow at that time. I was focused more on wealth building. And by having a larger portfolio, I could obviously build wealth at a faster rate. So it sounds like the appreciation in the market was key to be able to refinance, pull cash out, go reinvest in subsequent properties. Absolutely, it was. But also the forced appreciation that came from adding secondary units really did a lot too. So it was a combination of two. Certainly being in a very good market helped. And for those that say it's speculative, it's just simply that you haven't done enough research. There are markets in the United States and honestly, I would simply Google uh, fastest growing cities in the United States, and that's where I would start my search. And that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to invest there, but if you were to do something like that, I could be pretty confident. You show me the fastest growing cities in the United States, and I'll show you a list of cities that are going to have population or uh, have property values grow. It's just it's, they just go hand in hand. So, how do you mirror the? Uh, appreciation market versus cash flow, right? You're obviously investing for cash flow. Are you able to do that on a turnkey perspective uh, in your investments in Toronto? Or is it, hey, you've actually got to build something, you've got to force some appreciation and doing so, 
you're going to have multiple tenants, multiple tenants times the rental rate will actually get you to a place where uh, now it makes sense relative to the cost to acquire that asset in the first place. Yeah, you know, obviously every listener is in a different place in their lives, and uh, and as long as I was focused on wealth building, um, I wasn't as focused on cash flow. And you're right, I wasn't getting a lot of cash flow in my properties. But then I made a, a conscious decision to to not refinance my properties any longer. Um, as 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 tenants moved out, I was able to increase the rents that way. Uh, I actually did sell a property or two that really wasn't generating any cash flow, and I've used that for the private mortgages and other and other ventures as well. But I, I kind of around the age of 51, 52, I kind of flicked the switch from wealth building to cash flow. And so it took me about three, four years to to get to my financial freedom number. As I was building wealth, I I wasn't even focused on that because I was just so focused on on just making my top line number as high as it could be. And and honestly, it was there was a certain there was honestly it was a summer where three of my clients, none of my closest friends, but three of my clients all happened to pass away within a, within a two month period. And uh, you know, two of them were actually younger than me. And I started thinking to myself, I said, do I really need to have a fifty million or hundred million dollar net worth and work till I'm seventy five uh, just to hit some huge massive number? And and I decided the answer was no. And and that's when I it, that was honestly, if you wanted to pick the moment, that was probably it. Where I said, okay, let's start focusing. Focusing, and I made about a three year plan, and I reached my financial number that way. So, did your financial number change over time? <laughs> what your freedom number was when you started versus you know when you were at 50 versus 51 where you made that conscious change. I don't know why I picked this number, but I wanted $15,000 a month between my wife and I. And that was just the number I felt if I could make that. And the reason why is because I look back at, oh, about a, a two-year period and I looked at how much money we were spending every single month and I added a whole bunch and I added a bunch for travel. And you know, this doesn't allow me to fly first class every single place I go. And it doesn't allow me to to um, um, you know to to fly my own jet and stuff like that. But it it reached my financial freedom number. 15 grand was the number. And uh and yeah I quickly zoomed by that and uh and you know then I, when I hit 20,000 I thought okay that's that's enough. I don't need to do that anymore. So and that's it. Now I have to pay. Now anyone who says, "Well, is that tax free?" I said, "No, I've got to pay tax on that." But um, I don't have any mortgage debt. I don't have any car loans. It's just simply. Uh, and when I say I don't have mortgage debt, the mortgage debt's on top of that. Like I, I'm, I'm paying the mortgages with cash, and then this is on top of that. So I've got mortgage debt. I'm just not using that with it. Your your net cash flow number. Correct. Thank you. Makes sense. So. It- as you, we've got listeners who are like, hey, how do I get involved? What does that look like? Uh, obviously, you started, you went in as a broker, you started selling. That probably gave you insight into the market and kind of what, what to buy, et cetera. For someone who's starting out who maybe owns their own business that's not in real estate, where would you recommend they get started if they're you know, looking to follow the strategy that you pursued? Yeah, the super cool thing about real estate investing is you don't necessarily need to be uh, um, the smartest uh, the smartest kid in the room when you start on this venture you're not you're not necessarily the kid that was getting the a plus grades I certainly would not be that classification for sure but as long as you put your time in and I realize you've got your nine to five job but uh, but this is important so if you can find 
do your research and become really knowledgeable of a particular market or two. I'm not saying go through the entire United States. I'm saying find a market or two that you want to invest in. And then, you know, if let's say you have a full-time gig, you partner with somebody in that area that can really take you to that next level and start to add some properties in your portfolio. Or, you know, again, the type of properties that I recommend, um, one of my quotes I say all the time is a quality property in a quality neighborhood, attracting quality tenants, make brings you quality profits. And, and even during the pandemic, uh, me and my clients had essentially zero dollars and zero cents of deferred rent because everybody had 700 credit scores in our, in our, in our, in our client base for the most part, at least 600. And, and those people were just not wanting to not pay their rent. So, so we had a pretty good thing going. So my advice for a newbie coming in is, is definitely do some homework and, and try to find a market that you're happy with. And, uh, and you don't necessarily have to have a hundred properties. Um, I advocate having as little as three properties, even one property, one property. If you buy an appreciating market, if you're 40 years old now and you buy that property and then in 10 years, that thing at a 4% appreciation rate with mortgage pay down, a little bit of cash flow, that can make you a third of a million dollars. You get three of those suckers and you've made yourself $1 million through this part-time side hustle. Hell of a lot better than driving Uber Eats and making scrunchies on the side, I can tell you that. <laughs> so you mentioned finding a partner mentor. Like, How do you go about doing that? I'm a huge, huge fan of... Um, of local meetups. That's something that uh, I don't think a lot of people take advantage of. Um, and I, I, I don't know what city my list or the listeners are in right now, but I guarantee you that if you were to do some Google searches, uh, you go on meetup.com, whatever, there is a local meetup that talks about real estate wealth building in, in or around your market or the markets that you're looking at investing in. And, and honestly, feet on the ground, um, Spending your Wednesday night at a at a at a real estate group and and shaking hands and kissing babies and meeting some people and finding people you can know and trust and and that's a huge that's that's how I built my network and that's how I built my wealth was was in just simply meeting and partnering with some really smart people that I really liked. What's the uh, most exciting thing you're investing in or involved with today that gets you excited when you wake up in the morning? Oh boy, that's a tough question. Well, honestly, the first thing I want to point out is that real estate has done a very good job of funding my life, but it's not, I'm not allowing it to run my life. So it'll fund my life, but not run my life. What I'm most passionate about actually is travel. Uh, I really enjoy living my best life. I'm a huge baseball fan. Um, I've been all around the world watching baseball. I, uh, I tend to, uh, I, my goal is to see a a game in every single ballpark. Uh, there are two more that I still need to see, and I'm hoping to knock that off this year. One being in Minneapolis, and the other one being in Washington D.C. And uh, and then I will yep and complete that goal. Uh, I want to see. I want to reach a hundred World Heritage sites. I want to eventually make it to a hundred countries seen. Uh, I I'm a I'm a bucket list kind of guy. I just want to have as many once in a lifetime experiences as I can have. And honestly. Real estate, I, I don't wake up and say, yay, I get to be a landlord. That never happens. Never once in my life have I ever said that. But yay, I get to do whatever I want without having to worry about what I've, what I, you know, doing my nine to five job. That, that gets me excited. 
Awesome. Uh, what's the best way for the audience to be able to connect back with you, Michael? How do they how do they reach you? Yeah. So for those that are, that are looking on camera, uh, here's the book, Armchair Real Estate Millionaire, and it's armchairrealestatemillionaire.com. You could uh, go on the website, reach out to me through that. Uh, the book is available on uh, Amazon, as well as I now got a audio book, which is really kind of it. I just, just released the audio book just uh, about a month ago and uh, hired a voice actor. It was a really cool experience working with a, an actual voice actor and going through the whole process, but that's another story. Um, and yeah, that's, that's how you can reach out to me and that's how you can find the book for sure. Awesome. Appreciate your time today, Michael. And thanks for sharing your insights. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today on The Prosperity Perspective. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, please head over to theprosperityperspective.com where you can hear from other successful business owners on their approach to investments. On our website, you'll be able to learn more about how DML Capital currently helps other business owners like yourself diversify their investments and grow their wealth. Take our short quiz to see if you're ready to take the next steps toward your financial success. 